You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Dilshan Raknaika, EVP and Chief People Officer at Securionics. Dilshan, it, it's so great to, to have you on. Uh, you know, Stephen speaks really highly of you. And from what he shared, it sounds like y'all have a lot of common, pretty similar personalities and have a lot of fun whenever y'all come together. So I'll, I'll try my best to keep up. Before we get into to the real questions, we, we always like to start with an icebreaker. And we thought we would switch it up from what we normally ask. Normally, we've been asking, what was your first job? But we wanted to switch it up. So going into month 11 of quarantine, there are you know, so many things that, that Stephen and I miss about pre-COVID life. So we were wondering, what's the thing that you miss most about pre-COVID life? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, so thanks for throwing me a softball. Uh, I actually miss seeing people, believe it or not. Um, uh, I miss waking up in the morning and really being complicated with my clothes. Uh, now it's the standard, you know, jeans and a shirt and kind of get work done. But, you know, you have to think a little bit. I don't have to wear shoes anymore as much as I used to. So I would say those are lists. I have a hole on the list, but it's been an interesting journey trying to focus on like what life looks like now, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I definitely miss seeing people too. It's it's definitely a, an odd transition going from seeing somebody in the office every day to seeing people over camera every day. And that's the most interaction you get. So one of the things that, that Stephen shared with me about you is that you didn't have the traditional path into HR. He mentioned that you started in operations, you, you ran a business unit at a, at a big tech company. So just curious, how did you go from overseeing such a large business um, unit to being the head of HR? So I, I will kind of backtrack. So I grew up in a family that my father was in operations. So as a young kid, I got to see the operations side and obviously the, the business side. Fast forward to college, I had an HR internship job and then I had an HR operations job. And I think that's kind of become my sort of definition of what work looks like. I'm a business leader first and I happen to have a love for people. And now that I actually have fast forward my career, I balance both of it. Here's what I've learned about it. I've learned the fact that uh, business runs with great people. And if you can find the balance between running the operations and understanding the people, you can just accelerate um, and, and drive a company that's very successful. Yeah, 100% agree. So for, for, for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about what Securionics does? And if you're able to share with us, maybe tell us a little bit about where you guys are growth-wise, so revenue, um, and, what, and what growth looks like for 2021. Yeah, I'll give you a kind of a quick view. So Securionics is a threat detection company. We basically um, a, run a platform uh, that actually enables our clients to be able to detect advanced threats and we do it faster, quicker, and with a lot more agility than most of our competitors. Uh, we are rising star in this business. Uh, our founders started this company 10 years ago, but over the last three years, we have moved to a cloud-based solution that is really kind of growing at about 200% year over year. Uh, and our headcount, uh, and that's the reason I'm here, is growing 50% year over year. So it's a pretty nice story. 
We have doubled our headcount uh, last year. And so it's exciting to know that we have created more opportunities for people and we are about to do that going forward into 2021. Sounds really, really exciting. <laughs> so we we do this thing where Stephen and I, prior to getting on these calls, we'll, we'll poke around on our guest LinkedIn profiles and try to find something interesting. Uh-oh. And we just loved one of your featured posts that you have on your LinkedIn. So you describe your mission. Well, actually, no, actually, you describe how the position was positioned to you um, by your CEO when you were interviewing. And it says, to help help us be better every day and pursue employee happiness, help our most valuable resource be the, be at their best and deliver world-class product services to our clients in the communities we are privileged to serve. In the same post, you then go on to share how you overheard one of your kids say, my dad coaches the good guys that keeps the bad guys away online. And I just thought that was awesome. And then lastly, in the post, you say, I'm living my best life at the workplace that I was meant to be at this time in my life. So I just wanted to unpack this post for a little bit. Like one, the way your kid described you as a superhero, basically, that's pretty awesome. Um, So maybe you can share a little bit about that entire encounter that you witnessed. And then two, just tell us what you mean by you're living your best life at Securonix and and why you feel so lucky to be there. Well, thank you. And thank you for doing some research on that. So it's a simple story, right? We are all living with our families. Uh, and I, I make it no um, very transparent that why I wake up every day is for my family to help them kind of find their best life in this world. And I was uh, explaining to my daughter a little bit what we did and didn't think much of it and went about my daily life. You Sometimes your kids don't always listen to what you have to say. I overheard her talking to some neighborhood friends that she had kind of had over COVID explaining what I did. And I mean, I got to tell you guys, I mean, that hit right here um, that my child understands why I do what I do and and that she found purpose in what I did. Um, and as a dad, I mean, that's kind of pretty big. And I, I, I really found that to be a special moment. Um, what's the next question? Let's see. Uh, About living your best life. Yeah, living your best life. Look, I'll give you a short version of me. I grew up in Colombo, Sri Lanka. It's an island in uh, Sri Lanka. My dad was a chief operating officer in Sri Lanka. And I left in um, 1996 to come to the States. And leaving your family so far has sort of been a tough gig. But what I told my dad was, I want to do something special. And I want to uh, sort of kind of see the world and do one of the things. And I got blessings with my dad. And I committed to myself that I'm going to be a chief people officer in the US, eventually continue my career to advance in, in this field and kind of grow into more senior roles. And, and having this job at Securonics is really special because it is a promise I made my dad that I would make my time in the US worth it. And I, I got the opportunity to be a chief purple officer with Securonic, with Sasha Naya and Dave Kalasane. And I'm very grateful and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. That's awesome. So, so now that you're a chief people officer and you've accomplished that goal, what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? Look, I, I chose this job. I could have been an operating leader of a very solid background in operations as well, but I chose people because I, I truly believe this job give, gives me two things. I get to work in business and commercially 
deliver economic value to society. And I also get to touch people's lives while they're living on this earth and help them unpack their potential, right? To me, those two things are married and I happen to get paid for it. It's an awesome day. That's great. Um, so Stephen, I, I know you had a few questions that you wanted to ask about just the, the changing workplace. So I'll let you uh, take over from here. Yeah, I'll take it from here. So, you know, when we met Dilshan, we were, I think at peak summer COVID spike last year. And you're one of the brave souls that took a chance on uh, making a move at a very risky time. I mean, there was a global pandemic going on. And uh, when you took on your role at Securonix, so I'm, I'm curious, what was it like to, uh, to start a job during such a crazy time? Um, so I just met my boss pre-pandemic, met him once. And that was it. And the rest of it was all virtual. It, it was an interesting kind of experience, right? Having to listen to people, attend to them on, on a digital kind of medium, not having all the sensory tools while you're physically with people. Uh, but throughout the process, I think, you know, I had a couple of things going for me. I absolutely had a great connection with my now boss. Uh, I continue to have a similar experience with my colleagues and I took a leap of faith, right? I mean, one of the things you need to know about sort of advancing your career is you got to take some risks and there was no downside for me. I, I, I had a great job at my former company. I was always welcome back. And you know, the way I looked at it is I'll make this work. And if it doesn't work, there'll be lots of other opportunities out there. And I, honestly, that decision has played in extremely well for me. Yeah, I received advice in my career that you need to take risks. If, if you want to move into the type of roles that you want to move into, Stephen, you've got to take risks. And you also have to be open to see the opportunity. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, that, that's a skill and it's a hard skill to, you can't, it, it's hard to, to train someone on that. I, I think you know, I was, I've been mentored a lot and, you know, it, it, it is this, this thing where you, you're like, oh, wow, things around me are moving. These opportunities keep popping up or, or, you know, there, there are these signs that maybe I should look at this. And, um, and the advice, the follow-on advice that I got was just be sure when you, when you're ready to take a risk that, you know, you're not, moving too quickly on the first thing that comes to you. And so I'm curious, what, what was it about the opportunity you're in that, that really convinced you that this really is the job I need to take? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. So I will tell you the recruiter who presented the opportunity I'd known for four years. So he and I've had many, many conversations over the years about personal stuff professional stuff, my needs and, and wants and my aspirations. So I think um, I'm glad you bought it up because it was not like a one like flick like that. I'd known this recruiter for a while. He matched me pretty closely to the leadership style and the um, leader that I'm talking about. And so we are pretty good match for each other. And the opportunity, right? I mean, it's a company who is going to scale and scaling in an area that's extremely important today. And he presented me that opportunity uh, at a time that I was needing the growth. And it was just a couple of 
conditions. And I'll be honest with you, uh, my wife signed up to the exercise. So that was great. And she's like, go for it. Uh, that was that helps. That helps. That helps. <laughs> uh, I talked to my mom who cautiously said, if it pleases you and you're ready for it, go for it. And usually my mom is a little uh, conservative with these career transitions because dad didn't make many career transitions. He worked for a company for many, many years. And so career transitions in her mind, a little bit risky, but on this one, she said, do it. And uh, I don't know, the rest of it, I think was just the fact that I felt it was the right time. I, I, don't, I don't know whether you believe in the universe, but I felt the universe was like, this is your time, dude, go do it. I love it. I love it. I love that you, uh, that your mom is part of the, uh, the bus- the board of decision makers. <laughs> hey, your mom always has to be, my mom's probably listening to this and she's, she's a part of, uh, all my big decisions. So I can definitely, uh, resonate that resonates with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, dad was involved too, but my mom, uh, always, uh, cautions and I, I always seek her counsel. So did my father, but on this one, she didn't veto this down. So I'm like, it must be the right time to do this. So, so the universe, mom, your wife, everything's pointing to you making the decision. So you make the decision and you start on day one and, you know, I've got to imagine, well, I'll speak for myself. Like it was a shit show in June or over the summer working through everything that, that we were being confronted with from a business standpoint. So what, what was it like, you know, share a little bit about like what you walk into day one, a global pandemic's going on. And, and honestly, we're all kind of panicking, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny, Stephen. you're maybe making me recall memories. So one of the memories I have of my first day was my supervisor calling me. Uh, I had just got my Apple MacBook Pro, which had, was a day before. And I'd been waiting for all my life to have a work computer that was Apple My phone is Apple, my iPad's Apple, so I got the Apple. I I didn't realize I was not skilled and there's a big change from the the, the other provider that I had. So I opened up my laptop, I'm trying to get this thing started. My boss is calling and saying, hey, that we're excited to be uh, be here. We'd love to send an announcement. Why don't you kind of take a first step at your draft? And I'm trying to find where word is and this computer didn't have it i mean it took me a better part of a 30 minutes to figure out that i didn't have it so i had to call the 1-800 number which i didn't know at the time and that day was like literally panic i can't even get my announcement draft to my boss i mean what am i doing here so that that was kind of funny over a month i'm now a proficient apple pro um uh, MacBook user, but that was my first it's day. A, it's a it's a journey for all of us that make the 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 conversion. I I did the same thing, and it took me a good six months to really feel like I could navigate going from the from a Windows laptop to to the MacBook. And y'all are brave, though. A lot of people never make the jump. They just yeah, stick yeah. with what they know. <laughs> I will tell you, it's it, it's been a great move. Uh, I enjoyed because having unifying technology is something I've always dreamed of, and I could never for 20 years sought that out between work and home. But uh, on this gig, since I got the CPO job, uh, the IT group was more than happy to make sure my dream came true. Yeah, once you get through the quirks, it it's a lift in in productivity, but it it takes a minute. And so so you get your you get your setup. 
there's some speed bumps, some road bumps, uh, roadblocks. Now you start, where do you start? Like, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, the pandemics happening. Were, were, were there, you know, were you able, did you have the headspace to start thinking about your people strategy or were there immediate things that, that needed your attention? I, I was, you know, did, did Securonics already have their arms around like what was going or, you know, what, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's good stuff to kind of like recall. I, I, I tell you, I've been with Securonics eight, eight months. I certainly feel I've been here a little bit longer than eight months, like three years sort of, but let me go back in time. I, I would tell you my first week was outstanding because I had a great boss who understood what onboarding kind of feels like. So he gave me a little bit of a easy pass first week. I got to know my team. Uh, my team had uh, um, just transitioned from a former supervisor. And so they were a little bit nervous about this new guy coming in. So I had to first kind of like do the basic, you know, uh, connections with my team and kind of let them know who I was and what I wanted to do. And, and a lot of people were looking for direction from me. And I kind of made it clear to the organization, including a, chief operating officer uh, and our CEO who are very driven individuals, they have to be in the roles, that I was going to observe the organization for um, 30, 60, 90 days. I remember the looks I got saying, hey, this is great. This is a startup. There's no 90 days here. Like, like, you've got oh. 15 days to figure yeah, it out. You got, you got 15 days, but I was able to negotiate that being thoughtful and scanning the organization was an important activity. And I got at least a good 30 days into it. And then I started drafting my first draft um, of what I believe needed to be done. So you, you certainly have opinions about how some companies run. And one of the things I came to sort of conclusion at Securonics is that you have to meet this organization where this organization is at. You cannot just bring in other tactics, strategies, or operational sort of ideas without truly trying to frame it to what this company's journey looks like, where they're at right now. I love that. You've got to meet the organization where the organization is at. Daniel, that needs to be one of our clips, our hot that, take, because yeah, that that's, is, that's so true. Well, I, yeah, I feel like, you know, so I'm 26. I, I'm just imagining if I was told, hey, you're going to be head of HR for, for a company. In my first day, I'd probably be promising the CEO results within like 10 days. You know, like I feel like that's probably a rookie mistake. So I, I think that it's just so wise of you to, you know, negotiate with, with the leadership team and say, hey, I need to, you know, evaluate the company for 30 days and meet the organization where they're at. So I, I love that. And so I'm curious, you know, what, what was your biggest lesson learned from that? from that experience. In, in well, I'll be honest with you. Thank you, uh, Daniel, for being complimentary, but that was a hard decision. I mean, these are startup leaders who've done it several times. Uh, Steven, I know you are one of them. So, you know, you have no patience. You need stuff done, stuff yeah. fast. Yeah. And if you blink, you have lost the game, right? So I appreciate their ecosystem, but I was bought in to get the company ready for their evolving journey. So sort of negotiating the path was important. So as all good negotiators, you give a little, you take a little, give a little, take a little. And, and my give was sort of hit a couple of things early on. Uh, and, and one of the things I hit early on was the uh, leadership development that the company needed. 
so that was a big one. I thought I needed to do a little bit more research and figure out the team. And uh, honestly, the team had not had that kind of background. And our CEO is very committed to people growth and it's something he wanted me to do. So we partnered with a third party company to come in and kind of without, you know, overthinking it, just put a line in the sand and start a leadership journey. I'm proud to tell you guys that we are just completing this morning, our first cohort of 22 executives that went over a 14 uh, week leadership journey. Awesome. And that, that is the beginning of developing that muscle. And we are going to complete that journey with 100% of our executives, at least manage and above, completing that type of leadership um, journey over the next year to 18 months. And I've been told those investments are non-traditional in a startup environment, and we are making it. We believe it's important. Yeah, it takes and, a lot of commitment to, to, to go through a, a leadership exercise like that. Instead, so just curious, what kind of impact can that have on the business? by going through that exercise? Look, you know, I, I, it's, it's an interesting kind of question and it's a very direct answer. You invest in your people who lead on the people and there's an immediate um, ripple effect on that. The, the converse is true. You don't do that, you contract an organization. So if you wanna multiply an organization, you must make those decisions. If you wanna hold an organization stale or suffocate it, you don't make that stuff, right? You know. Growing leaders, shaping them, retooling them is like oxygen to an organization. Love that. Yeah, and, and I think that, that when you breathe that new life into the organization, amazing things can happen. And so just moving along, because we still have a lot, a lot of uh, a good, good ground to cover. You know, I'm just curious, on a personal level, is there anything that you would, you would do different looking back? You know, one of the things I've been struggling, it's been a little struggle to build relationships. I mean, you have executives who are in a COVID scenario. Cybersecurity is growing. You know, the home scenario just expanded the risk profiles. Mm -hmm. And so we've been busy. I, I do believe we've not had a lot of time to bond and build relationships. I mean, I was actually thinking, hey, normally executives go through uh, what you call offsites. I mean, how do you do an offsite in this situation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, so we've been trying to do our best, but uh, honestly, I'm still, I still feel there's much work to be done to continue to build our own connection in a fast-paced environment. Everybody's committed, but there's only so many hours in the day. I think we're doing better, but we could do better at it. Yeah. And one of my, one of my favorite questions that, that I've been asking our guests is what does the future look like? What do you think the new normal looks like? And and even more specifically for Securonix, because I think honestly that this is going to be a company by company. The new normal is going to be situational based on like what, what the industry you, you operate in is, uh, what the culture of your business is, how you sell, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm curious, what, what do you think the new normal is going to be like, uh, the post-COVID normal for Securonix? Yeah, so my boss is going to find out for the first time saying, hey, Dave, this is my update to you. Um, we just did a survey with our teams uh, earlier this month, and I think the sentiment is that most people are comfortable in their new environment. It's almost closing a year now, mm -hmm. so they've found their rhythm. They're getting their muscle. Uh, there's about 60% of our organization that would love to stay flexible, meaning they would like to choose where they want to work. There's about a 30% of our organization for very different reasons. Maybe it's their... Um, 
physical setup or you know their life situation they would like to come to a physical environment and there's a 10 percent population that's kind of undecided at this point i mean they they're, they're concerned more about the vaccine than the office situation yeah. so they don't want to think about it but i think that's a sample and i and honestly where i see the magic ball going is that forever our lives are changed we have been we have proven that we can be productive in a distributed environment we were worried whether fatigue would set in now that we have figured that resilience as well. And I think if you want to compete for top talent, you got to have a flexible model that allows to meet people. I told you meet people, uh, actually meet Securonics where Securonics is at. I think companies like Securonics and others, we're going to have to meet people where people are at. Well, that that's perfect. Uh, you know, the next, the next, series of questions I have for you centers around talent. So I'm going to shift uh, into what I call the, the talent tactics. Um, you, you joined the company. Um, was it, what was it like from a, from a hiring perspective? Did, you know, was it chaos? Were you guys in a hiring fee, freeze? You know, what, what did that look like? So we never stop hiring in this in, in Securonics. We cannot stop hiring. We need that much of resources. And 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 cyber talent is scarce, right? So you don't stop the engine. I will tell you when I came in, uh, I found that we were very um, distracted, meaning we had a lot of priorities in all over the place. And one of the things I had to do with our leaders is sort out those priorities. You know, what's up first, what's up second, what's up third, because our recruiting teams were being diluted. Um, I'm not going to tell you we have become better. I will actually tell you that we have a workforce plan uh, that is actually, you know, really wrapped up. And one of my colleagues that I bought in has helped build that. We have some rigor around it, but you know, the net net is we are getting stronger and stronger every day. I have this saying is uh, becoming our best version. It's our people brand, become your best. And on this particular thing, we are becoming our best. We went from somewhat of a ad hoc process to a little bit more of a managed process. And now we're going to take it to a advanced execution. And, and have, you seen, have you seen an impact on your talent pipeline? You know, I've got to imagine that there, there's been an impact. You know, so so the, 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 well, I'll be very transparent. I think the throughput has gone up about, I don't know, 40, 50%. You know, say that we are hiring X. We're now able to do X plus another, you know, several percentages up, up. I do believe we are still a little distracted because certain talent, I'll tell you, certain parts of our organization, we can find talent with a different, uh, the, um, very disciplined process. But when it comes to somewhat of a niche talent, like threat detection or threat hunters, uh, there's a scarcity of that talent. So in order to get that, you just got to, be a little bit more precise and you had to kind of work a little bit harder. So those are still an opportunity, but we have found some partners and in, in several vendors who I think are very strategic. And we have uh, sort of had those partnerships kind of move in because one thing I learned very early is there's no way a startup can do everything by itself. You got to find people with muscle who has done it and invite them and then learn to play with them, right? It's one thing to invite them, but you have to sort of collaborate to make it work. And is there anything unique about, you mentioned that you, you look for a very niche, you know, talent. And, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, how, 
what are you doing to to differentiate differentiate yourselves to attract that talent? Like, what's the one thing that you know companies that are in a similar position as as you in Secure Onyx, you know what what should you be doing to to really stand out? Because I got to imagine competition is is tough. You're you're right. I feel like I it not a day goes by that we don't hear about more risks. You know, it's more more tech and infosec risks. So. So I give a, I don't think it's any different. I think we just need to sharpen the game a little bit. So a couple of things, you got to pay well, and that's important, that's basics. You would have a very decent environment and we have had opportunities. We have had opportunities in certain areas. And if you look at my latest blog, our Glassdoor ratings have flipped 800 basis points uh, from where we were when I found the company. Wow. Uh, our CEO yes. ratings have gone up 14%. And our referral friend has gone up 14%. And I will tell you, all of that is all about discipline execution. It didn't have to do with a lot of um, extra bells and whistles. It's about focusing on things that our teams can get done and then being deliberate about communicating those benefits and those opportunities and challenging some current you know, assumptions. Um, I think those things were the most critical things for us uh, going forward. So real quick, while we're on the, the topic of, of talent, you mentioned that, that cyber talent is scarce. Do you, do you ever, I'm just curious, this might be a dumb question, but when you're hiring, do you ever look outside of somebody who's considered cyber talent right now? Like maybe they have like a software engineering background and they're interested yeah. in getting into cyber. I'm curious if that's a transition that a lot of people like to make. Yeah, I, I come back to where Stephen was at and thank you, Daniel, for bringing me back in. I, look, at the end of the day, uh, talent is scarce and you take a niche market like that, that scarcity just becomes exponential. So we're doing two things. We are bringing in interns in the organization, you know, age old trick, right? Bring, bring in uh, fresh talent that potentially doesn't do some of the most sophisticated work, but they do bring in a lot of the new technologies. They're very resilient to learn. So you're bringing in new talent, training them. Uh, I would tell you, we do a lot of uh, adjacent technology. So if people have about 80% of the equation, we bring them in and, and the rest of it is we do bring experts, right? We are looking at people with security clearances, federal backgrounds, and people who are already doing this commercially, right? So if you're a client right now and you happen to have a cyber threat unit and you understand that work, you give us another perspective. I will tell you our organization as we evolve and we grow for more talent, we are going to have to get very creative and kind of focus on diversity of talent rather than going down one narrow path. And I think we're struggling with that. But every day when, when we bring new talent, you bring a best athlete, let's call it a top athlete in technology, we are seeing success in them picking up the work pretty quickly. That's all great. That's all great. And so now, now I want to zoom out a little bit. You know, we're, we're both passionate about culture and people. We, we've talked a lot about this. Um, Another question I ask all the guests is, what does culture and employee engagement mean to you? Look, culture and employee engagement to me is our team, our employees coming to our workplace, being able to become their best version. And I, 
you know, people think it's a tagline to me. I have found organizations that invite talent and then suffocate it, meaning you get great people and they, hey, I know you're great. You have all these skills. Now come and do it the exact way I want to do it. One of the things I love about Securonics is we do cherish the individual characteristics we have and we sort of invite our people to sort of just show up and be themselves and not be preoccupied about that. What we do ask our people to do is be committed to the work and kind of be very serious about the work. But unlike some organizations where you have to sort of fit a certain mold, you don't have to do that at Securonics. You can truly become an individual. And, and what do you think is, you know, how, how do you, that, that's, I, I love that. And how do you tackle measuring that? How do you tackle measuring whether or not your people are, are, are able to show up the way, you know, as their best selves? And, and I think that's the dream, right? You know, the dream is you, your culture is fostering, you know, as, as Debbie Shotwell, one of our previous, uh, our guests, she put it, um, you know, culture is about creating this, this sense of belonging, right? And I think if you have this sense of belonging, you are, you're gonna bring your best self to work. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, when you get to like measuring progress, I know that you also look at things in a, in a very metrics driven way. So I'm just curious, you know, how do you, how do you begin to get a sense for, are we where we wanna be? And, um, and, and what changes do we need to make, if any? Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for driving me down the road, uh, Stephen. We do measure it. We have employee engagement surveys. We work with uh, uh, Workify, the company you're associated with. We are very proud of that relationship. And we, we use that sort of relationship and that you know vehicle to get a pulse on where people are. We recently did a survey uh, in Q3 of last year. We had 90% of organizations participate. So that's a huge measure that people it's like hey i want to sign up and give you some feedback we had 35 points of uh, data that actually would be around various different uh, dimensions from how they feel about their work how they feel about their supervisor how they feel about our future how they feel about our vision and getting that data uh, in our hands and then doing something about it right and i i will tell you as i'm speaking we have two data points that are opportunities for our organization. We have taken that information and wired it into our management incentive bonus that is going in right now to our executive team. And it's gonna be a little bit of a struggle, but without overcomplicating it, listening, working on it, listening, working on it. And then you get trust over time, right? Yeah, and what I love about your view on this you and you, 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 you challenged us is that this is a continuous process. Like, how do we do this more and not burn people out? And I think that's right. I think as you listen, get information, um, listen again, get more information, you are, you're, you're tweaking your tactics. And so, um, you know, I, I'm just curious, you, you've, you've hit 50% growth you know, in, in, in terms of headcount and you're expecting another 50% growth, you know, what, what do you think is, it is if you were to boil that down to one thing about your, your culture that's so unique, um, what do you think is driving that growth? Look, I think we have a tremendous product uh, that's serving uh, the world, right? I mean, I think you, you and all of us who 
uh, in a digital space. And if you are a grandmother, if you're a father, you're a kid, you're a, you're a doctor, you're a scientist, you're a banker, you are now in the digital world. And you are going to find that that world is different than the physical that world we live in and there are good guys and bad guys as my um, as my daughter calls it and we have a product that services uh being able to manage and keep that world safe and people appreciate that and it works and it works very effectively yeah it helps having something a product and then team and the leadership all the things that you've talked about i think help but you know the ability to make a difference is is a powerful thing. Uh, yes. So, Sibdilshan, so you mentioned that that growing and developing the leaders at Securonix is is like oxygen to the organization, and it makes your leaders multipliers. So, how do you how do you apply that that same kind of thinking to the rest of the organization? Um, how do you develop your people? I'm just curious what what some of your programs you have in place for for development look like. Uh, at this point, you know, our leadership program is our first kind of vehicle. We are now looking into partnership with some um, uh, global learning organizations that deliver virtual learning. So, I mean, one of the things you 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 learn, and I'm learning this uh, on real time basis, you cannot meet all needs at all times. So you could have different vehicles. So we have the instructor led training, which is in class. And we are impacting the management leaders who have a cascading effect on the rest of the team. And then with the rest of the organization, we are delivering you know, spot micro learnings that we will have inside of our teams where they can consume learning on demand for their particular function. And then using um, content, you know, digital content to deliver our teams. Th- those are not right now delivered to our teams, but they're on the roadmap for us to roll it out. Got it. Just curious, what are uh, what are some of the things that you're thinking about rolling out? Well, since you asked, I am looking at um, content providers like LinkedIn Learning. I I personally use it, and and right now, if I want to learn something, I go plug it in, and I'm taking a 30 minute micro course, and I pick up. Now, do I get to operate in it immediately? No, but I picked up some content knowledge, and I'm creating awareness. Um, there are a couple of other providers uh, called Pluralsight, uh, Udemy, Coursera. I mean, ton of these options to help some of our engineers. And you know, the world of technology moves in a flash, allowing them to pick up quick content. So say that they had to learn something on microservices. They don't have to get out of their uh, work environment or run to a class. They can pick up something like that on demand and kind of retool themselves and self-service their learning, right? So those are important options. Obviously there are economies of scale that we need to look into, but I'm looking forward to kind of pulling all those out as uh, options for our organization to become a learning organization. Nice. So the completely different top topic, but I thought this might be an interesting question. What are some of the most creative programs, tactics, initiatives that you've seen in HR over your career could be your team, could be something you heard about. Um, just curious if there's anything that comes to mind. Yeah, look, I, I, you guys are asking great questions. I, I feel like I'm going to have to really pull a couple of good stops here. But so let me try <laughs> one, one thing really quickly. I think accelerated leadership programs are outstanding because I think you wait, most organizations that I've known a little bit conservative, they wait till people 
are perfectly ready. Um, and I've learned over time, nobody's gonna be perfectly ready. If people are about 80% ready, you gotta make the move. So organizations that are investing in accelerated leadership early before the need are big wins for me. Um, I've got a plus. I've got a plus one that because I was very fortunate in my career to to be a beneficiary of of diversity program um, and leadership program, and one led to the other, and yeah. it it was an absolute game changer. Yeah, so. I, I agree, and I'm part of that kind of beneficiary group as well. So I I've seen it. I mean, I I think about my colleagues who didn't have those options. And I see how farther and faster my career and some of my colleagues who had the benefit of that take. And now that I'm sort of advancing kind of like a career perspective, I would redo that as an important element to growing talent. Uh, And and look, the other one is traditional. You cannot underestimate the value of mentoring uh, circles. I mean, I have learned so much off the books that no classroom can teach me by three mentors that have impacted my life. And I literally pick up the phone now and say, hey, I'm stuck with something or I feel frustrated. This is going on. And sometimes they listen because they're like, hey, you've seen this movie before. You have the answers. You just need a vent. Or they say, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. Have you thought about this? And, And they're good listeners and they ask very good probing questions. They never give the answer. But those people where you can really go to are golden. And I think organizations have to create that atmosphere and that atmosphere have a multiplication effect for people and, and organizations. For, for somebody that's, that's early in their career that might be listening, how do you, how do you recommend that they, they, they find a mentor? Should they look internally within the organization? Or I'm just curious how you found a, a great group of mentors. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a great question. Sometimes you just got to ask. Um, some people say, hey, I want to be mentor. So just ask. And I think some people don't want to do that, but it's totally okay to be turned down. So I would shamelessly ask, but I would also say that mentors are seasonal sometimes. I've had mentors that were part of my life for part of my life and they're not forever, right? And there are some mentors who have continued through my career. So when I was a young manager, if I was asking an SVP to be a mentor, that's a bad match. There are like several levels in between, they may not understand it. Uh, Now, if that person was, I was asking about a diversity related question and that's a diversity connection, that probably will be a good coach or sponsor. But I think this matching process is not perfect. I don't wanna say it's like dating, but, you sometimes get it right, sometimes get it wrong, but I think being willing to take that journey is important. That, that's all I can tell you. I don't think there's a magic bullet. So I will tell you, I have scanned many mentors and I don't want to give you the list because I think it'll be a bad, <laughs> bad run rate. But I have, from all of that, I have three very special mentors in my life. Yeah, I, I the, the I, my experience has been the same. I, I also think that there is something about putting yourself out there in meetings, asking that additional question in a meeting with other stakeholders whom you are intimidated by, or maybe, you know, three levels up in, or, or signing up for, you know, an additional 
task that is outside of a or program that that's outside of the scope of like what you do in your job description. And, and I think it's those, those micro actions that help you get the attention or, you know, create the visibility for mentors to find you. And that for me, in many cases, the best mentors I've had found me and I didn't do any, I was, I'm not the smartest. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't always the best at the job, but I was always willing to, to put myself out there and, um, and having someone come to you and say, Hey, I, I like the questions you're asking, but you, uh, you could be more polished in the way you work. Can I help you? And that's how it happened for me in many cases. Yeah, Stephen, I, I would agree with you, right? I would tell you I am incessantly curious. And that curiosity most of the time works out. But in that curiosity, I've asked so many questions thoughtfully, obviously, through the organization. And those conversations, those questions, the curiosity which drives questions, which drives the conversation, I've found tremendous opportunity and learning. Well, thank you all both for that. Uh, I have my notebook out. I'm writing down some notes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, changing it up again, what one or two things do you think a lot of people in HR are probably too embarrassed to admit to their peers outside of the organization, or maybe they're, they're too uncomfortable to talk about with their coworkers internally? Good question. Um. Look, I, I, I will tell you because I have had several different experiences. I think um, some HR people are very specialized in HR. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful for those leaders because I think they very much do a great job. But they often don't have the opportunity uh, to learn the business, right? And I have been shameless in saying, I don't know something. Can you teach me? How does that kind of work? Why do you make money? Uh, how do you make money? And usually you feel like, a, like, why are you even in this conversation? Like, why, why do you actually need to know that stuff? I never worried about asking those questions. So my, to my colleagues in the HR organization, I think some are worried that they're taking space and they shouldn't be included. I've always encouraged those colleagues to take a seat at the table. And sometimes you get uninvited and that's okay. Uh, they, there's an old way of looking at HR and that's a personnel department and you get kind of sort of pigeonholed to a back office function, or you can be the organization that actually helps drive it. So most of my HR colleagues that I know have a um, sort of a concern for that. But you know, now that I'm at a different point in my life, I say, take a seat, ask all the questions, and so be very curious. Do you think it's, it's a safe statement to make that in order for HR to better serve the business or to better advise the business. You know, we're, we're obsessed in HR with advising the business that we need to better understand the business. Yeah, I mean, I, I would tell you, I don't know how you would even empathize with your clients if you didn't know what they do. And when I first grew up at Aramark, I took the uh, route of operations. I was with the front customer. I knew why deals happen or deals didn't happen. 
And that was awesome because once I took the HR organization, the operating team's like, yeah, that guy speaks our language. Let's go talk to him more. And the more they talk to me, more I learned. So I think, yes, you have to learn the business, number one. When I moved uh, from my former company to my previous company, which was from services to technology, I sat with the architecture teams. I sat with the development teams of what they did. And at first they're like, why is this HR guy sitting in this room? Is somebody in trouble? Did somebody have a you know claim on something? Uh, or, or is it time to do performance reviews? Very quickly, they started understanding that I was there to be just a part of the team and learn from them. And because if I understood their problems, I could, and, and, and some of what they worry about every day, I could solve it. So over time, uh, that became real. But I got to tell you, I don't know how you would help the business and be effective if you didn't get into the business. Well put, well said. And, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over for a, a set of rapid fire questions. Okay. This is a set of questions that we, we haven't asked you know, the previous guests. But given that I think a lot of this is front of mind, uh, given that you're still within the first year of setting your, your strategy, your agenda. Uh, I'm just going to run through some more operational questions since that's been kind of one of the themes of our conversation. So, so I'm just curious, and we, we want to give you know, our audience a, a behind-the-scenes look into, into HR leaders and the teams. How, how many people do you have on your team? I have 10. 10 and and how what is the structure what is the hr team structure that you guys have have adopted or that you put in place yeah so the the i give the short version is we have a centralized hr organization that does the hr operations the comp and benefits uh and a global talent acquisition organization basically doing workforce planning and you know uh people analytics right uh, the rest of the team is spread out into operation. The rest of the team means another five people. Uh, is uh, We have an operation in India who is on the ground helping that operation scale. And I one decision I made, I thought was the greatest decision I made so far, is to hire an uh, individual in charge of um, talent and culture uh, as an important resource to the organization. So that's how I'm spread. I believe as we grow, I'm going to have to build a little bit out, but I use several partners. You know, Workify is one of my partners. I have uh, several on the talent management partners to bring in the capability when the capability is needed to the organization. And what metrics are you, are you reporting on? What, have you, what are the critical, the critical metrics or the key numbers that you guys are looking at? Yeah, I mean, so right now, a lot of our uh, metrics from an HR perspective is all workforce planning. Over a majority of our investment is in people in a technology organization. So I report on headcount, report on retention of that headcount, uh, voluntary, involuntary. And one of the areas that I think we are different, we monitor high performance attrition. Uh, we look at growth uh, to look at how many dollars uh, we started with. How many dollars are walking out the door? How many dollars are coming in? How much we burn in labor? And, and my organization is a hybrid of HR and a tilt towards business operation reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, we also look at talent acquisition. You know, what recs do we have? Which departments have it? How are these requisitions aging? And how are we globally sort of um, positioning the talent, right? And I think it's important data 
to watch month over month. Now, we are not talking quarterly meetings. We're not talking like annual meetings. We're talking month over month. And I do a rolling 12-month average on all those data points to monitor the health of the organization. Rolling 12-month average? That's, you don't think that's too long? No, you're basically doing rolling 12 months. So you see, and you do a month over month. So you do a rolling 12 months. And month. a month over month. Okay. Got it. Got it. And you know what? What are you guys using in the your your HR tech stack? You named some of the the learning tools, and you know you you shared. Is there anything else or unique that you haven't already mentioned uh, that you've incorporated into the HR tech stack? You know what sort of chat tools, asynchronous, you know performance type tools? Is there anything else? You know our our audience loves to hear about some of the tools that that are being used by companies. Yeah, we, I will give you two just to kind of name. We have, we have a couple and I'm trying to kind of work on unifying technology. And I think you'll see my theme of unified technology, unified technology, uh, by the way, unified technology. Uh, <laughs> is, um, we use Workify for employee engagement and that is on the entry point of new employees, uh, our regular um, current talent and checking in on them and then exit. So we, it's a very important organization that we partner with to get a pulse on our people. Uh, we also reward and recognize our talent through a platform called Kazoo HR. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really cool and fun and uh, very easy to use. Um, and our employees love it. Uh, we are yet to mature that platform like any organization, but I believe the tool is fantastic and it does what we needed to do. And then obviously Slack is a very famous choice for our development organization, uh, especially during COVID for them to communicate and keep up like communication tools. Awesome. And what advice would you have to give, you know, it can be a struggle and I know budgets are tight these days, especially within the people organization, even with, you know, there being headwinds and things looking like with the vaccines, it seems like we're going down a better path. Like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but I know that it can be, it can still be difficult to get approvals on budgets. And I'm, I'm curious, do you have any, uh, and it helps to have leaders that, uh, that are supportive and understand, but uh, what, what advice do you have for the HR uh, executives out there that are having troubles with budgets? Yeah, I'm, I'm living this. So this is, this is good. I'm actually in a budget meeting going into one tomorrow morning. Uh, so I'll give you an interesting thing. Have a strategy. Tell the organization what you are wanting to do and what return the organization is getting out of it. Uh, and don't expect everybody to understand it day one because I think people have so many priorities. Your priorities may get deprioritized. Uh, but you've got to find um, opportunities to influence leadership and solve their problems, right? Whenever I get funding is because I'm solving somebody else's problem. Mm -hmm. Some HR organizers like, hey, this is what we need and we must have it. Most of your clients don't even understand it and probably don't appreciate it. Not that they're not smart, but they have a lot of other things going on. So I tend to say, hey, here's a deal. Um, I need some stuff, but I really want to know what what you need and what I can do. And, you know, let me shape that. I think I'm getting there. I'm not, you know, hundred percent there, but I, I, I feel that that is working for me. I will tell you what's surprising to me is sometimes my requests get delayed because it's just not the right time. So I would say be persistent. Mm -hmm. In some of the situations, my requests are immediately approved because it's a trifecta. My need the organization need and there's something burning, boom, full approval. Um, so I'm surprised sometimes what gets approved and what doesn't, but I would say have a plan, stick to the plan and be persistent. 
Love it. So for all of the HR practitioners out there that are pretty early on in their careers, is there, you know, any best advice that you've received in your career? And and what's the what's the worst advice that you've received in your career? I, I will tell you the best advice is go take operational rotational jobs. So that's kind of I've done that. I now realize the value of that. Um, I would do it again. In fact, if I had an opportunity to go back into an operational role, I would do it again. Because who will eventually lead HR is operational savvy HR organizers, HR leaders. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and if anybody wants to have a private argument, you we can text each other or me on LinkedIn. I am certain of it. There's no, there's nothing that uh, take my view on that. Um, silly things. I, I honestly don't. I would tell you silly things for me is don't sweat the small stuff. Uh, I have. It's a waste of time and energy. Uh, I would, I would have a plan and go after the plan. And if you fall, just get up and go. Nice. I love it. Love it. Just get up and go. The I, we're running out of time. I've got I've got one final question. This has been an awesome, another awesome interview. Um, if you could have, if you could, you know, have anyone join us um, in this conversation, you know, who do you think we should invite to the Modern People Leader Podcast? Modern People Leader Podcast. So I have a very good friend. I would be remiss if I didn't. Um, bring her name. Her name is Lindsay Lord. She's a head of HR for, um, I'm almost going to mess it up, Jiffy Lube, uh, one of their uh, large franchisees. She is a dear friend and a person who is a like-minded modern thinker. And I would absolutely ask you to, if you have the time and uh, opportunity, call her. She also happens to be a nice person. So it all, it's all, all shakes out well. Awesome. And I lied. I'm going to, we're going to wrap up with you know, if you had one wish and you could solve any people problem, what would that be and why? One wish. I wish that employees and managers would constantly seek to calibrate where they're at and, and reset expectations, right? Often you find uh, everybody wants to have the person in the organization Manager is excited, uh, employees excited, and you find deltas. And that delta sometimes doesn't result in an exit. It results in an ineffective relationship. So you're burning a relationship while in, in organization. That's a bad idea. Secondly, over time, you realize that they didn't work out. And so you had to break up now. That's a very costly affair. I want people to have one-on-ones more regularly and calibrated regularly. It's that simple. It's good for the people. It's good for connection. It happens to be great for the business and its p and Steven's is- been preaching that the past few weeks on our, on our one-on-one episode. So <laughs> well, what's uh, the old Another saying, data point. You don't leave, you don't leave jobs. You leave your manager, right? And something to that effect. Yeah. So I think that's great. That's a great aspirational uh, wish. And so Dilshan, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. It's been an awesome session. You've given our audience a lot of great content and uh, maybe someday we can bring you back. Oh, I would love that. Thank you so much, Daniel and Stephen for having me and uh, wish you guys all the best. You too. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye.